One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Newsbags podcast. This podcast we are going to look basically as we run into the last Grand Slam of the year, the US Open, we are going to look at a couple of preview tournaments, one which has just concluded, the Canadian Open. We are also going to be looking ahead to the Cincinnati tournament and also the follow-ups and, uh, in terms of rankings, in terms of injuries and what could potentially happen in the US Open. Joining me are our regular guests Shankar and Bijan. Shankar, Let's get started with the Canadian Open, which has just concluded. You were insistent we should discuss the Canadian Open, and this is one of the premier tournaments leading up to the US Open. So, let's look at the men's side. Finals, expected, not expected? Svitolina won it. Uh, and um, I think, like we spoke after Wimbledon, we're not very clear as to where the women's tour is going. Everyone said that Magurutha now has a good chance to stamp her... Uh, presence on the tour, but I've also heard some people compare her to Wawrinka, where she only does well in the slams, because Wimbledon was her first win since she won the French Open last year, <coughs> so the onus is on her to show that she can be more consistent. Pliskova is number one, Svitolina and Bosnia reached the finals there, so those are two people who are probably looking forward to doing well at the US Open, and they both have a chance to become world number one at the tournament this week in Cincinnati. On the women's side, uh, on the men's side, uh, it's just been decimated with injuries. You know, Djokovic is out for the year. Wawrinka is out for the U.S. Open, and I don't know if he's out for the year. Murray is out of Cincinnati. Chilich is out. He's the defending champion. He's out of Cincinnati. Uh, a few minutes ago, Federer pulled out of Cincinnati. I think he's protecting his back. So it's it's like a I don't know. It's like a war zone in the men's tour, and I think now they have to find 128 fit men who can play in the US Open first before they worry about anything else. Indeed. Uh, but let's let's look at the Canadian Open in specific though. So your over, overall, if you could give a brief summary about your views on how the Open went? Yeah, I think uh, the two stars from the Canadian Open, one was the 18-year-old, 19-year-old Canadian Shapovalov who beat Nadal uh, and Del Potro quite impressively. I saw one of his match, I saw the match against Nadal and he played really well. He's just, I mean, at that age, you, when you're fearless and you have that kind of shot-making talent, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. And uh, he never gave up. He was down a set, came back. He was down in the finals at tie-break against Nadal and he didn't g- give up. And he played really well all the way through, I think. And he lost to the eventual champion, Zverev, who was able to take out Federer in the finals as well. So those are my... Zverev is... All year, he's been one of the building stories. I mean, right from the Australian Open where he pushed Nadal to five sets and then he won Rome beating Djokovic. So he's been getting better and better every tournament. He is, along with Federer, he's won the most tournaments this year. He's won five titles. He's, he's only 20. So he's actually going to be going to Milan for the next-gen finals as well as London for the for the Barclays. Or the, I think this year they call the Nitto finals. So, yeah, so he's, he's the big story. Zverev has made himself one of the Short odds favourites for the US Open, I think, with this performance. 
Bichon, you, you said before the board that you didn't catch the whole tournament as it is. So, did you happen to watch the Nadal game where he got ousted ultimately? Yeah, actually, I caught the uh, I caught the second half of the tournament. The last the weekend games is what I managed to catch. Nadal uh, played a like he played a very solid first set. He won, and at a stage, I think he won 11 games out of 12. But then. Visibly, while Shapovalov, um, while he upped his game a little bit, Nadal just tanked. There was a, there was this um, ridiculous switch up in level where it's almost like you know he he felt a little bit of pressure and then a lot of the cracked, uh, which you haven't seen in a while. And then I think he was also he was also visibly disappointed in the press conference immediately after uh, because he he did say I think. It, it was his worst game of 2017 because he was up again in the second set for a while. He was so fairly solid in the tiebreaker at a point in time uh, where you don't expect him to break. But um, I think his second and third sets were probably the poorest you've seen um, all year, and that was uh, that. Obviously, you know, was, he was visibly disappointed in the best. But not to take away that the, the little kid just performed incredible. Uh, Shankar, uh, getting back to let's focus on the Nadal game, obviously with you on the panel. So, what do you attribute his? Uh, you can't call it downturn, but it, it it was nowhere near his levels which he shown this year. What do you attribute it to? Was it just one bad day in the office, or was it coming? Usually, when Nadal loses, you usually say it's coming. So this time, what's your take on the loss? Well, I hope it's one bad day in the office. But the truth is, he has. For all his great fighting qualities and his indomitable spirit, he, he loses a lot of close matches, I'll say. Over the last few years, he has, he has lost quite a few matches in deciders. And that third set, I think he was, he had a lot of opportunities. He was, he had break points. There was one game that went 14 minutes or 20 minutes or so. And then again, in the third set tie break, he was up three love. So it was uncharacteristic that he didn't put him away. And I, I believe it may just be that he's coming back to hard courts and this is his first tournament back. And that kid, the, I mean, when you're 18, the way they play is they they only play they play first strike tennis. They have nothing to lose. They go for winners of every shot, and credit to them if it comes off. I think that's what it is. So I think it's one off, but uh, Nadal is obviously more susceptible on hard courts than he is on clay, and he hasn't won a tournament outside clay in a long time. That's a factor too. Uh, Shankar, I'm going to stick oh, with. Yeah, sorry, Bijan, you had something to say. Sorry, uh, yeah, if I may. Um, the, the the other thing that I that I noticed was, uh, Shapovalov's and I and I saw this stat somewhere. I can't I can't find it unfortunately right now. Is that, uh, increased the pace of some of his ground strokes as well. And in in the shorter format of the ATP, we we, we you know you've always seen that a faster court kind of troubles Nadal a little bit. Plus it's also a quick format, so. He can't really push it towards the end and test physicalities, right? So, yeah, I mean, Shankar's right to say that he hasn't won a tournament outside of um, outside of the ones that he mentioned this year and for a while. But um, it was also a case of I think it was just one of those things where he cracked um, and and it, and dra- it was a drastic drip rather than you know him being able to fight it out. Versus what you saw versus against uh, Muller at Wimbledon is that Muller's game just didn't break. It was it was a freak game. Right? You very rarely see that. And Nadal had to try things, which is why he kind of broke. This was just, you know, nothing is working. The game's sinking even more. Um, I'm just going to stay in it because I think I can. And then he just kind of got rose at the end. Yeah, Nadal is uh, more susceptible to this kind of defeat in best of yeah. three sets rather than best of five sets, where he always, yes. very more, more often he'll find a way. And uh, Shankar, what is it between three and five? If I could just prolong this, do you think he needs time to maybe break down his opponent? And three sets is too short. Is that your thought process on this? Yes, I think his game is suited to uh, grinding down an opponent. Federer and Sampras play uh, very clinical tennis. They can decimate an opponent who will feel like he had no chance. But Nadal will. will like a spider with a web, he'll pull you into his, his you, you be, they'll be trading ground strokes and he'll just constantly pound you and pound you. 
and the way he wins the first point of a game or the first two points of the game will affect the player later on in the set. And he he has him and Djokovic both have this ability to grind down their opponents. And the longer matches favor them because they are fitter than most people and they just know how to play better in the key points on, on, on a four-set or a five-set match. In three sets, it's possible to have a dip and then suddenly you're set in a breakdown and that's it, bye-bye. So that's why he's a little more susceptible in, in three sets and plus he, he doesn't have a, a, a weapon like a serve. Like Federer can really, even if he's a little off on his game, he can still serve through a set, take it to a tie break. But Nadal, if you see, usually has to work a lot to win even his service games. And so that means he's more susceptible in a three-set match. John, would you want to add anything on to that? Yeah, yeah, just just the last point, but Shankar kind of already dipped into it, is that um, see the shorter form point will always will, will always help a bigger server because you get free points. Remember in in, in a five set when the last set can go on till kingdom come, um, your defensive game can always keep you in it. But if it's going to a tie break, it'll always uh, help the bigger server and always help the person serving first. So. You've seen this time and time again that whenever he's gone into tiebreakers and he's and he's not serving first, there is a little bit of an issue. So if it goes on to the fifth set, then you can continue and keep going on. Like there are not too many people that that can take on a hundred percent full fit in the Nadal. But in a shorter format, if it goes to a tiebreaker, it'll always benefit someone who's who's, who's got a bigger serve. And Nadal's made to his serve, right? Because of his wrist and the knee. There have been adjustments and more so on uh, on the heart. So they'll always benefit a bigger server and that's also what Shankar touched on the difference between a 3 and a 5 set. All, all fair points. Bijan, I'm going to stick to you. Let's move from Nadal to the other Hall of Famer, Federer. Did you manage to catch the final against Zverev? Yes, I did. It was unbelievable. Um, the first set was just... It was... It reminded me of... Do you remember the Del Potro US Open that he won? Where he just looked like he was unbeatable. Zverev reminded me a lot of that, but just faster. Which is really scary if you have someone who can cover ground better than Del Potro, but has the big ground strokes, has the big serve, has absolutely everything. You know, he was on wheels, uh, he was defending incredibly well. Uh, there's this I think they've, they put up this clip multiple times, the Rogers Club uh, Twitter account, where it's one uh, defense and Federer finally puts the ball out in play. But it was unbelievable. Zverev in the first set. Second set, I do believe that the, that, that the injury or the back, the back kind of gave in a little bit. There was some instances that you kind of saw. I, I, I wouldn't say Fed was tired, but there was some kind of issue. Uh, but in the first set, it was all Zverev just... It was almost like he didn't care to hoots about reputation. He didn't care anything to do with, you know, he said, it was just, this is my time. This is the final for me to give in. Uh, sorry, to, to just make sure that I don't give in. And he went for it. Uh, and he was physical. He served well. He covered incredible ground. Tactically, he was very, very good. I was very impressed with that fight. Shankar, you want to add on to what Bijan said about the final? What was your take on the finals? We, we, we discussed that Zwerav is a... You said it is the breakthrough story of the year, as won as many tournaments as Federer. So, it's, it's fair to say they were, the, the final was between the best two players on the tour this year, right? No. Well, if you look at if you give slams more weightage and Masters more weightage, then you'll still have to say that the, the best two players of the year have been Nadal and Federer. But they were definitely the best two players of the tournament. And Zverev has reached a level where, uh, playing against these guys, he doesn't feel he's the underdog anymore. I mean, he'll say it in the press. He'll say, sure, Federer's the favorite and all that. But he's played all of them so many times this year. He lost to Nadal in Australia. He lost to Nadal in Monte Carlo. And then immediately he joined, he, 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 he went and played in Barcelona to play him again. But I think he lost before that. And then he, uh, he lost, he beat Djokovic at Rome. He lost to Federer in Halle, and he, he keeps learning, he keeps getting better and better. And that first set was very good tennis. He, he really overpowered Federer in some ways. And I think somewhere at 2-2 two, two, or 3-3 three, three in the second set, Federer started pulling back. And I, everyone, the commentators could see it, everybody could see it. He, there was this long rally where he had to run side to side, and then after that, he must have heard something in his back and, and said, it's not worth risking the US Open for this. 
And from there, you knew that Zverev was going to get through. No, I mean, to take no credit away from Zverev, he's definitely the future of the game. I think now the question is, maybe he's also the present of the game. Yeah. That's indeed an interesting take, saying that he's the future or he's also the present. So, let's let's move on to Cincinnati. Shankar, we said in the beginning of the pod, we could literally have, we could literally count the number of fit players who, in our hands who could who want to play in Cincinnati and who also want to play the US Open. So, how do this, uh, let's put ourselves in the f- uh, shoes of the organizer. How do they salvage such a tournament? You have literally no one playing. Yeah, uh, the big story is that Nadal is going to be number one. Even if he loses in the second round at Cincinnati, he's still going to be number one because he's got enough points. Murray is going to lose points from last year. Federer is not going to gain any points. But that's a very uh, lukewarm way to have a story around the tournament. So it's, I mean, and given Nadal's struggles on faster courts, and Cincinnati is one of the faster courts, you could have the first Masters tournament in a long time that's where none of the big four are there in the finals. I mean, there's only one of the big four playing, so there's very good odds that you could, I mean, you can, ah, this is like the women's tour now. Cincinnati, anybody could play anybody. I mean, Zverev is obviously one of the favorites now. Nadal has a reasonable draw. I think he can do well. I mean, he has Kyrgios in his half, so that's a bit of a risk for him. But apart from that, I think he should do well. And um, one would expect Zverev to reach the finals from his half. So it's, it's, Whenever there's a, the passing of the guard, the changing of the guard in tennis, you ha- you might have a few tournaments where you can't really build up a good narrative before the tournament. You, your story only comes after the tournament because there are half a dozen people who could win this tournament if they if they chose to play well. Uh, you'd go with the form book, but uh, like I said, that doesn't promise anything. Bijan, coming to you. Cincinnati, Nadal, second round is... is Shankar would say don't jinx it, but second round is basically a formality. So we are looking at a new number one. Mare is out. Federer wants to protect himself for the US Open. Djokovic is obviously out for the year. So where do you see this as a precursor to the US Open? Where do you see this tournament heading? So I look at it, I, I look at it two ways. One, it doesn't change Nadal's ranking at all going into the US Open. Right? So... <laughs> One US, right? Um, now, the thing that could be interesting is that if he could just use this tournament as maybe if he wants to correct a couple of things or try a couple of things, and then if he wins it, he wins it great because the ranking doesn't get affected. Obviously, the more match time he gets in a faster court, the better for him at the US Open. But I do think uh, a lot of the others will take it really seriously because a it's a chance to win a Masters. B it does affect. Uh, number of rankings for anyone that I believe is between 10 and 15. So that could always be an advantage for that. But because it's only him, I think it'll just be one of those uh, brief, I win it, I win it, and then grab people. So that's what I think. And if he goes out, I don't I, I don't think it should hit him that much. But obviously, these guys are too competitive. They want to win everything that they hit. So as a, as a precursor of the US Open, I guess it'll just be practice. I would actually see Zverev um, as a favorite only because I think his game style is just suited for a faster. He's got everything. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really attacking style, uh, which is just Del Potro 2.0 in a way. Uh, so I guess it will suit his his method and his tactics and his, his ability. Uh, but it'll be fun. It for it'll be fun for everyone that's not Nadal. If he wins it, he wins it, and then kind of move in. Something. So Shankar, is it worth looking? Now we have looked at uh, both the tournaments. Nadal is going to be number one. So let's look at the precursor. Let's look at the US Open as the tournament, which is the big tournament, and we have talked the precursor. So considering the form book or the injury book, are there any early favorites for the US Open? Because Nadal is going to be one who's played both tournaments. Zverev looks to be one. Federer has played one, made a final. Djokovic is obviously out. Any new? I have not followed the any news on Murray. Is he going to be there for the US Open? Uh, there's no update on Murray yet. He's trying, but even if he plays, I, I don't think he can skip the whole summer and then expect to be a favorite at the US Open. But is he Nadal, even going to play? 
he hasn't said so yet. So he's taking it week by week. First he said I'm pulling out of Canada. Then he said I'm pulling out of Cincinnati. So he'll only probably make an announcement next week or the weekend before the US Open. Nadal needs to do well in Cincinnati because he lost very early in Montreal. He lost his second match. He beat Bernard Korik and then he lost to this other guy. So he needs to get a few matches under his belt, even though the surfaces are different. He does need that. He might have an interesting match against uh, Giles Mueller in third round. Uh, he'll remember him. <laughs> so that should be interesting. That could be painful again, but he could have Kyrgios. But I think Nadal needs to win at least two or three matches, maybe get to the semis to, to feel that he has a little bit of match play going into the US Open. Otherwise, he's going to be a little undercooked on hard courts, even though he's the top seed. Uh, best of five sets again at the US Open. He'll back himself to work his way into the tournament. But if you had to, if Federer is just protecting himself and hopefully his injury is not serious, then Federer and Zverev will be reasonably, will be justifiably the favorites for the US Open. <clears throat> you know, they have the game, they have the, they, they have the know-how to play and Zverev, I mean, he, we still have to see how Zverev does in multiple five setters. But he's, I mean, he's probably, he must be top of the world right now. He's got to be thinking that nothing can stop him. What does he have to be afraid of, really? I mean, Roger Federer was the immovable force all year and he's taken him apart. He beat Djokovic on clay. So he's, he's got to be very confident. And with good reason. Like Bijan said, his game is quite frighteningly good. So, yeah. I think outside Federer and Zverev and then Nadal because he's fit. And when Nadal is injury-free... He, def he will always make a good run. He's not going to lo lose to a Fonini or a Lucas Pui this year, that's for sure. So it should, be, uh, it should be them and then whoever else takes their chances at the US Open. I, I don't even know who to look for, really, to be honest with you. I, I would like to say someone like Kyrgios, because this year he has shown a few more signs of being more committed. And if he's injury-free, he should go deep. But again, you, you'd, be really, you'd be really foolish to bet on Kyrgios, because that means you have a lot of money to spare. So, nobody else has credentials. So, we could have Federer, Nadal and Del Potro, only three men in the, in, the, in the singles who have slam titles. I think that's what it's going to be like. Because Warinka is out, Murray may not play, Djokovic is out. So, again, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very uh, open field, I think. Emphasis on open. It, it, it almost looks like we're discussing the women's side. Exactly. I was going to say, I didn't want to use the word Serena, but yeah, it's something like that now, yeah. Bijan, you, you want to add on to what Shankar just said about how the US Open could potentially look like how the women's side has been looking the whole of this year? No, I think it's going to be those three plus Del Potro. Um, only because I think Del Potro will take Cincinnati very seriously. Um, and then it's a hard court if he can stay fit, if he's confident, then it's it's those four. Only because the others just aren't available. I don't think Dominic Thiem is, um, has the best game for the hard court. So he's obviously lower down the pecking order. Um, Songa, no. Kevin Anderson's back. He's had a great run. But uh, that's, I mean, uh, his first Grand Slam in a while. I don't think that's going to be something that people will worry about. Big serve, of course. But then uh, fitness concerns over five, um, over five sets. Nishikori is the perennial quarter-finalist. I don't think that moves from there. Maybe no, not. Nishikori is not playing Cincinnati. He's also injured, by the way. He's no, replaced no, by Tip Sarovic. So, we don't know if he's going to be at the US Open either. Oh, fair enough. So, that, that's another one. Uh, Mofield's just lost to Yuki Bamri. That shouldn't do him too much confidence. But, I don't know. It just seems like those three. Plus, maybe the odd one. So, yeah, it is. I'm not going to say women's game. Because, also, then you're, you've still got Nadal's Zverev Fedlock. And that hasn't been the case in the women's game comparatively at all. But yeah, it is it is wide open till, um, and it's these. I think it's for them three to to lose in a way. Uh, and after this, honestly, if, if I had to put it out there, um, Federer over Zverev over Nadal, um, only because the game style suits the other two. That's it. That's that'll probably be my my call for the U.S. Open the men's. Shankar, anything we want to discuss on the women's side, we'll ultimately actually discuss that also. <laughs> I don't know. I want to pick Zverev, but I'm, I'm worried that once I pick him, he'll lose first round. So, I'll stay away from picking him. I've done enough damage to his French Open chances. So, yeah. But on the women's side, well, yeah. 
I don't know, man. This, I, the men are so wounded. <laughs> I don't know about the women's side. What has Wimbledon taught us? It has taught us that Muguruza can win a Grand Slam, which we already knew, right? So the contenders continue to be contenders. Svitolina did well. Halep did well. Wozniacki always tries hard. She did well. Venus Williams reached the quarterfinals, did, so did that's Wozniacki good. Did Wozniacki beat Pliskova? Yes. Yes, yes. She beat. She reached the. Yeah. She beat Pliskova and Svitolina beat Halep six one six one. I am not sure what happened there. I don't think Halep's ever lost six one six one, but. They're all on curves, up and down, and Mukuruza reached the quarters, so she also did well, so again, it, it, it's, it's open season in tennis. With, with men's side, you could argue injuries, but women's side, it's just pure yo-yo effect though. It's like one week somebody is awesome, next week they are down in the dumps. Yeah, but I think it's going to be among that, uh, there's, a, there's a pool of five or six, I would say now. I would say Pliskova, Halep. Svitolina, Muguruza, and maybe Konta. One of them would be the favorites, I think, would reasonably. I think. But the good thing about the women's tour now is that nobody has to be intimidated about anybody else. There's no giant like Serena who's got who comes in and you know tilts the whole draw. So they all will go in thinking they can win. And if, as we saw in Wimbledon, it led to a lot of close matches because nobody gave up in any match because nobody was thinking if I win this match I get to the next round they're all thinking yeah, I can go really deep in this tournament and I think that's what they're going to do on hard courts Conta did very well at the US Open a couple of years ago and Pliskova of course last year, last year reached the finals so I think they're all good on hard courts it should be another cracker of a women's tournament with the big names probably well they're not big names but the, the medium sized top names doing well I think John, any any no, early favorites? We we struggle to even name favorites when it's the weekend before the open. But early favorites, yeah. if there are any. I know, I know. But no, interestingly, that that Shankar mentions Conta because Conta went out really early in the Rogers Cup. Um, she had a she had a bit of a bad one, but Svet the the usual I think Svetlina beat everyone, right? She beat Muguruza in the quarters, then she beat Halep in um in the semis. Um, and then she went on to beat um, Wozniacki, I think, in the final. Yeah, it was Wozniacki in the final. Correct. Um, it, it's a couple of. I think this is also interestingly. I think it's it's Wozniacki's fifth or sixth final this year. I think it's one of those numbers, maybe fourth or fifth or fifth or sixth. But she's done really well through the year, obviously, because unfortunately she just doesn't have the biggest game to close games out, uh, and she needs to grind it out and you know, kind of stretch it. If she has a couple of really long, you know, really, really long games and it becomes a lot harder for her to do. But she had a great tournament. She beat Pitskova. Um, Sloane Stevens made a return really well this tournament. Uh, she eventually lost to Wozniacki in the semis, I think. But, um, yeah, I think Sloane, I, I, I thought Sloane Stevens was great when she broke out of the scene. Um, she's come back. Hopefully she can stay there. Uh, she, she does have an incredibly, incredibly quick game. So that's a good that's a good site for her to return as well. Um, I'd just add one list, you know, one name to that list would my, my mind would be probably Wozniacki over over Conta, uh, only because just her form through the years has been a lot better. Yeah, the reason I didn't include Wozniacki is because she has the same problem that Hengis used to have when both the Williams sisters were dominating, is that she cannot overpower anyone. So over seven matches, she'll get found out. I think yes. she might be able to beat one of these big girls. Then she'll get stuck in, uh, uh, against someone else. All the others, except for Halep, who has incredible fitness and retrieving game, all the others have big weapons and they can, you know, pound winners. Yeah. So that's why I think Wozniacki, Wozniacki to go deep, yes, but Wozniacki to win, no, I think. Yeah, absolutely agreed. That I think it's going to be the same, like you said, be Halep, Svitolina, Muguruza. Um, Plitskova, but then Plitskova is again, I think she's going to compete with being a really, she's going to be another horrible world number one, but then I, I just, we give up on those rankings, don't, because it's not someone who's actually winning it, it's just that people are losing it, which is why another one becomes a world number one, and I find that a very weird combination, it's like here on the men's side, Nadal's won tournaments through the year, Federal's won tournaments through the year, they, you know, they're kind of chasing Murray, who's unfortunately injured. And the women's game is just that, you know, people get to the semis, they do, and then they lose, and then someone else becomes. I think it's just, it's odd. It's a very odd, odd 
think yeah. we can see back. Yeah, she lost in the second round of Wimbledon to become world number one. So that was good for Pliskova. She got a week and a half off and she also became world number one. Absolutely. It's a good deal, right? Absolutely. It's weird, yeah. And right? we stated, and the first time we actually saw this happen was years ago with Wozniacki and Yankovic. Because they hadn't won tournaments to become world number one is when there were injuries and then they kind of went deep in the tournament. So they were just gaining points. And it was yeah, the same yeah. thing. And since then, it hasn't really changed much. They were just the most consistent. Absolutely. I think now we're seeing a changing of the guard. Even if Serena comes back next year, she's not going to be as dominant as she has been. That's I think that's a given. It would please, be, please record this. She would. It would be <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, record it. I'll write it. I don't call it. She's not going to be as consistent as she was. She's, she's probably going to pick and choose her slams like Federer does. She's still good enough to maybe win Wimbledon and stuff like that. But she, something will have to give. She's having a baby, for crying out loud. I mean... Yes, <laughs> Kleisters yeah. did it, but Kleisters was much younger. Serena was already 34 or 35, right? 34. Yeah, but Kleisters did it, she was younger, but Serena is, is, I mean, for the lack of a better adjective, Serena. No, I, I, I have more respect for Serena than anybody on the planet, but I still yeah. think when she comes back, she's not going to, I mean, I'm say, it's a very safe thing to say. She's definitely yeah. not going to win 23 more slams, so she's not going to be as dominant, right? <laughs> so I don't think she's going to come back and just take over the number one slot. But if that serve works, then huh, I don't know. She could. I have a feeling in third gear, she might still be too good for most of them. I, uh, I'm not sure about that anymore. I think the year that's going to happen, there's going to, she's not going to come back before the French Open next year. And I doubt she's going to play Paris immediately back. She'll probably be able to Yeah, that'll be interesting. I, don't, I think she bunks the French Open just because it's just too physically demanding. Yeah, so a couple of girls by then will have some sort of... Uh, they'll have more feathers in there and they'll be more confident. And they don't take a backward step. I mean, Nogruta beat her twice at Paris, right? So she's got... She has that confidence too. So, yeah. I would expect one of these to kind of grab on to number one within a year with, with some reasonable case. Kerba has two slams, Muguruza has two slams, so somebody has to kind of up the ante here, you know, one right. of them has to go further. Or Kerba is not going to get back to where she was last year, I think. Even though she's only 29, something but in her game is lost this year. Let's not forget the lone warrior as Venus gloves on. Yes, yeah, this is a good chance where she, she, yeah, she, she's looked good all year here. I mean, we talked about Nadal and Federer, but she's reached two slam finals, so... That's nothing to laugh about, right? And she's actually done it. We're talking about Federer winning a slam after four years and Nadal winning a slam after two and a half years. But she reached the Australian Open Finals this year after she reached it in 2002, which was before Nadal, before Federer even won a slam. So that's, we're talking about longevity on a ridiculous scale here. So she's fit. She is always confident. She and she's a, a big tournament player, nothing like her. Exactly, yeah. She's a big match player. So, and... There are days when she's played where the only person who could have beaten her was Serena and it was Serena. So, I mean, she will always be a favorite in New York. In New York and Home yeah, tournaments. I'd love, to, I'd love to see her win. Absolutely, sure. Uh, because I was going to say she's my dark horse, actually. That's why I was waiting to see if any of you pick her up. I was waiting because she's my dark horse pick for the US Open Home Tournament. She's been on form. She She's handled herself well. She's not got injured. She's You could say she's struck a fine balance between... Playing enough to stay in rhythm and not playing so much more that she gets tired or exhausted. She's found, struck a nice balance. So I think she's on form for the year. And there's a possibility. Yeah, yeah. I was very surprised and disappointed with the way she lost that second set in the Wimbledon final. I was not surprised when she lost to Serena in Australia. I mean, that was on the cards. But and normal, I wasn't, It wasn't a shock that she lost to Magruta, but the way she lost was kind of puzzling, I guess. If it was fatigue, then that's a worry. But if it wasn't fatigue, that's an even bigger worry. So, if she can avoid that kind of mental tips, she'll be fine. I think. But, but Shankar, just to just to ask, do you think because I I thought that the first set was was so intense, the stress around the first set in the Wimbledon final. I think Gabin just stuck it out a little longer because if you notice on the second set is when she went for everything, you know. And I think the first set, just in terms of a stress point of view, uh, and physically, this took out too much of Venus Williams. And then I don't, I, I don't think, know. I think that final rather than, you know, uh, Venus losing it. No, no, I think so, yes. But I, I, 
for a person with that much slam experience who's won five Wimbledons, who won that great 9-7 final against Davenport, that was 10 years ago, I think. So she has experience in big matches, she has experience in long matches, she's definitely not the kind of person to, to drop her head just because she lost a set in a it's final. Also, it's also and a 15-year age gap. Yeah, so I don't know if it's age, if it's fitness, I, I don't know if it's if it is fitness, then, then the same thing's going to happen in New York. It's summer, it's going to be September, it's going to be hot. So then she's in trouble again, right? If that's the case. So she has to win and win easily? I don't know. I if, I don't think it should have been fitness. It should not have been. It shouldn't have been for her, for the well, level she's playing and how good she is. Her matches haven't gone super long, like two and a half hours, like Halep matches and all that stuff. So I just think I, she blinked somehow for some reason. We can't understand the minds of these top players. So, but... It was to me. It was a, a slip on her side to to lose that second set so tamely. Yeah. But, but just but nothing to take away. Imagine we are talking Venus Williams and Lindsay Davenport, and now Venus Williams and Pliskova. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, God, she's my she she's my second favorite women's tennis player of all time. So I mean, it's fine. Ooh. I mean, uh, I'd love to see her come back and win after Sellers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, any other last points before we close the pod, Shankar? Any other points you wanted to discuss because it's been a while since we did a pod? Uh, I don't know. I, it's, it's, I'm quite excited about this US Open because I think it's going to be fun from day one. It's, it's, a, it's a sea change from when we knew that these four guys would roll into the quarters and everybody else would just have matches against each other to see who could lose to one of the big four. So... I don't think uh, Nadal is going to win it. I think Federer or Zverev will have a better chance and one of them might win it. I also think, I'll say it now, I think Federer, Nadal will be number one next week. But Federer is going to take the number one ranking at some point this year. I think he plays well indoors. He's the best indoor player in the world now that Djokovic is injured. And he'll probably end the year as number one because he's got no points to protect. And he's, if he's fit, and he should, nothing should... He should do very well in all the tournaments to follow. But we have known that the US Open is a tournament which throws up favourites, at least in the main... Uh, sorry, throws up underdogs and they end up winning. That's a tournament, at least in my watching of tennis, US Open is the tournament I associate with shock winners. So... Really? I mean, it doesn't happen that much. If you look at it in the last... I don't know, Since 2003... Del Porto and Chilic are the only guys who've won it outside. Yeah, oh, my up. first memory of US Open on shock was Marat Safi. Yes, I saw that. I woke up two thousand was in the morning. It? Yeah, two thousand. I watched that, and that was—I mean, Sampras was blown away. Seriously, Safin had too much power and too much game, and Sampras was very generous in defeat. And I was stunned. I was—I I woke up <laughs> thinking Sampras is going to roll over this no-name Russian guy, and nothing doing. Completely got destroyed. Yeah. Sampras and then the next year, Hewitt. Safin is just one of the most most infuriating individuals to watch. Because he should have got it, he should have at least got to 5-7 Grand Slams. Like, just his talent demanded that at least. And he only got yeah, to... He was too busy having fun. Shocking. He was just too busy having fun. No, but I you know, the, the, the one thing was, you know, okay, you know, new kid on the block, blew apart Sampras. But for him to have taken out Federer in the Australian Open the way he did when Federer was was at peak level, right? Just showed you how 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 ridiculous his career has been when he should have just done so much more. Yeah, that was a very close match. I think Federer had match point, and but that was how well Safin could play if he was focused and everything was in place. He did. That's all. But his 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 temperament is such that he cannot do that week in week out. I mean. To ask him to be like that is to ask him to be somebody else. I mean, you just take them for what they are. Quick short story. Just um, so I don't, if, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the uh, the IPTL uh, live, but I've gone there both years <laughs> that they have come in, and the first year Safin was there. Oh God, you should have seen him throwing tantrums on the court, right? When he wasn't doing well, was when he wasn't serving too great. It was incredible. It was just reminiscent of what he had been doing his entire career. And he kept doing that in an exhibition game. You know, he tried to go for the big serve, but obviously hasn't played tennis in ages, would miss it by miles. And then he would actually suck. 
and I was sitting there and said this is the best you know amount of money I've ever spent because I've seen everything I've seen competition I've seen the favorite players and I've also seen tantrums in the likes of Sasha it was hilarious to watch <laughs> but it's almost like I hadn't missed out anything in the past 20 years <laughs> but one My player who reminds sorry Shankar but one player who reminds me of Safi now not obviously to the same talent ceiling but just sheer frustrating inconsistency is Milos Raonic if he wants that guy can be great and it's almost like he doesn't want to do it Raonic he has to convince me he has the game I mean I've exactly. seen him make great but he is mentally not there every time he plays against these big names he blinks first I mean I'm sorry you can see his he play Murray or Djokovic or Nadal or Nadal or Federer and first set four games he'll serve lights out and one of the and one of the five games he'll drop his serve pretty kind of predictably the moment the ball comes back over the net he's he's floundering it he looks very weak for one game and he he has the same issues that i see in dimitrov you know they don't seem to want to beat these top guys or somewhere deep deep in them they don't really believe it all the time exactly and that's what i was saying he, it's almost like he doesn't want to do well himself yeah i think he's kind of just holding himself i don't know what is this this year he's had a lot of injuries fair enough but is his defeats are quite predictable yeah but it but, but it just shows you how much of how much of the game is actually in the mind you know last the i thought his his coming of age was when he beat federer at wimbledon um and then he just got wiped in the final um which was just such a it was such an anti climax because he played a fantastic game against federer it was it was tactically so good uh, but then he just hasn't been able to replicate that at all and it's almost like the big guys know that his serve is going to break at some point which is why federer just doesn't bother and this we saw that at this wimbledon as well he knew that come game 9 the serve would break because he would get tense and then that's when federer would capitalize it just need i think it it so much for him will just be mental and i think if he if he gets to you know accidentally win a grand slam in the next year or so i think that could be uh, a big change in his, in his approach No, last year Federer was a little bit injured. He was coming in a bit gun shy, match shy. Yeah, but but I don't think Raonic is going to be a great player. So I think Srikanth, you need to look at somebody else for you. No, I, I would say we all jump on the Zverev wagon because he's probably going to win ten slams in the next five years. Okay, so they have jinxed him. He's done. He won't win anything for the rest of his life. Poor guy. <laughs> yeah, he'll search me out. Uh. <laughs> No, Zverev is the real deal. There's no question. I think he's in it for the long haul. So I was coming to Shankar. Do you think he's a, he's an all-quarter? That is, he's a contender in all slams. Yes, Already? I do. I do. His game is very tight. He's good on clay. He's good on hard courts. He's reasonably good on grass. He had a great chance to beat Raonic at Wimbledon this year. He was up a set and a break, and he he lost serve because of just inexperience, kind of, and he let it go. But with one more year of experience, he'll be good, and he has a very good serve. So yeah. I think he'll be good on all surfaces. Interesting, because we remember when we did the French Open when we got back to where <laughs> we kept talking yeah, TM, TM, TM. Oh, Zverev lost in the first round. <laughs> Void by my prediction that he would win. He went out in the first round. Team is better on clay, but team doesn't. He has his 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 swings are too big for other surfaces for him to be uh, have as much of an impact. I'm sure he'll find a way. I'm sure his coaches are working on it and all that. But Zverev's game is much more together and much more advanced or sophisticated than teams, I would say. God, he's only 20 years. I mean, the mind is it, the mind boggles at what he could do. Bijan, you you wanted to discuss something in specific, right? Yeah, I'm going to put both of you on the spot now, and I'm going to ask you. So we've we've seen this now happen twice, right? Federer took a certain period off, came back this year, um, won two out of three slams. Nadal's taken took time off to obviously work on his wrist, but then was injury free, came back, uh, one final, one slam win. We've you've potentially got Wawrinka out for the entire season. I, I think he's done. Uh, Djokovic is out for the entire season. Uh, Murray could potentially also miss the rest of the season. Do you think? And mind you, all of these guys are above 30, right? Um, and honestly it would suck to be someone at the age of 20 24 25 because these guys are just not going away now do you think that this could be a format where 
because they've got so many points on them. Missing the odd slam to take a break becomes just something they will do tactically to approach the next couple of years because it's easier on their system. They can pick and choose uh, what works for them. So, do you think someone could actually, or any of these guys could look at the next couple of years and say, let me not do four slams a year, let me do two, maybe three, and then see if, and then, because let's be honest, right? I don't think, other than Nadal, who sometimes suffers if his seed isn't that high, the other three are, are really, really good against the bottom half, or the bottom hundred, therefore tend to get to be much more often. Would that change if they drop in, dropped out from, say, the first four to the second four seeds, um, and then use that as a format to approach the next couple of years? Um, I'll go first. I don't think Federer is going to play the French Open next year. Cause I, I can't see him finding one reason to play the clay court season. If he has to play Paris, he has to play the clay court season. Then he has to run up against these teams and Zverev's and Nadal's. I mean, the reward versus effort is not worth it for him. I do not think Murray or Djokovic are there where they want to start skipping slams yet. I think Djokovic is genuinely injured. He's kind of hit the wall. But he's not just injured, he's also mentally short. So he has to find a way to come back. And I, the fact that he hired Agassi and he hired Ancic are good signs that he really wants to get his game back on gear. So I think Djokovic will come back next year. I don't think he'll win the first two slams for sure. I think he might start doing well after a few months of play. And Murray, I don't think he's won enough slams to start picking and choosing. I don't think he's at that stage. One of the things that helped Federer was... It's like he said after Wimbledon, he said he was very happy with 17. He came in, you know, his career was already great. I mean, it was already goat career. I mean, so he had, he was, he, and he said it very clearly. He did not take off the second half of last year because he felt like it. He took it off because he had to. He was injured. He only played Wimbledon because it was, it was Wimbledon. And good as he is, even half injured, he could still make the semis. Good for him. So, yeah, I don't think this guy's going to do it. I think Federer will skip. French next year. But the other guys, I think, as they get fitter, they'll play slams. They might they might look at the possibility of playing less tournaments, though, given how much of a toll they've had on their bodies. But I don't think the slams. I think they'll all show up for the slams. What you're saying is they show up for the slams, don't play enough tournaments, potentially lose seeding a little bit, but in and around the slams, all four of them. Well, yeah, you just said Federer not at Paris. Yeah. yeah, the other guys are going to play the slams because <clears throat> they will still back themselves to win the first three rounds, whether they are ranked two or five or eight. And I don't think they'll they go that far down. They'll, the level of tennis will, will get to a high enough level. If they want to be a contender at a slam, then they also have to be doing well enough at the Masters rounds they choose to play in. Fair enough. Three. Yeah, I would think so. Except Federer, I don't see others skipping tournaments. They, they aren't at that stage yet. And the problem is, if you, if the other argument is obviously, if you want to play a slam, you cannot go without, you cannot go cold into a slam. You will need to play a few tournaments, and there are points at stake. So, except Federer, I think Federer is at a stage he can. It's not going to pinch him. It doesn't mean slam, but for others, it might be an opportunity to win a slam. Federer is not interested in winning the French Open because. As Shankar said, the effort versus reward axis is far too skewed for him, if one might put so. I, I wanted to ask Shankar, Shankar, do you see Nadal doing this, like just taking a break, not injured as it is? Taking a break, we discussed this one part saying, the more he plays is better, but assuming his, his injuries have stabilized and he's predominantly injury-free, do you see him doing this to prolong his career? He might. If he takes a break, it'll be at the end of the year because he doesn't do well indoors anyway. And he might choose, you know, somewhere around China and then Paris and London. Well, he'll want to play the year end. But he's he hasn't done great. I mean, he's reached the finals a couple of times, but he's never been like, you know, in the form that he's been earlier on in the year. And um, it's possible uh, he might do that. I, I'm still hopeful that he, he can find that serve he showed during the clay court season and that might help him in Cincinnati and the US Open. so. But I think this year he'll play everything he can because he's both him and Federer are happy to be back and they will play if they're fit. But maybe a year or two down the line, Nadal could do it. Yeah. So, yeah, so the, I mean, the only, yeah, you the only asked the question. So you yeah, yeah. Well. So I, 
I so I completely agree. I don't think there is a reason for uh, Federer to play clay season at all. It's too much pressure on his body. Um, but I do I, I disagree a little bit to be able to say I do think Nadal will bunk a tournament. Um, and so will so will Djokovic as well. I think those three are the most likely to do it. Wait, one sec, one sec. When you say bunker tournament, do you mean a slam? Yeah. I okay. Think, I, I think it's. I think it's. See, I mean, we're looking. We're, I don't. I don't understand why we're saying for Federer it's okay to. I mean, he's on 18, right? We we completely agree that physically it's too much uh, for him on clay. Right, Nadal's on 15, right? Uh, so I don't think. I mean, for him, obviously, if he's fit, it works. I think he plays every single French Open till he retires, obviously, or till he till he's like 60. But I think he'll set up for that for sure. He will open at the at the Australian Open uh, because it's hotter conditions. It, it it's definitely meant for his kind of gameplay. Hotter conditions. You know, it, it makes the ball move faster. I don't think the US Open, and obviously I completely agree with you in terms of, I think he's going to bunk the indoor tournaments as long as it doesn't hamper his rankings too much. But I think the first, I think he will play the first three. I think Federer will play Australian, uh, Wimbledon and the US Open. And I think Djokovic will will, will, will also definitely do the Australian Open and, and the US Open. I think those three can still do it. I, I agree partially to be able to say, Murray is not at that stage, um, but he's also 30, right? I mean, I think I think he'll show up for, for Wimbledon definitely. I think that's his best chance of winning it any which way. But I think they will overall. I, I agree with you to be able to say they'll they'll miss out on a lot of um, the smaller tournaments, maybe a couple of Masters as well. But I do think a, a year, maybe two years from now, all three of them will will have to adjust their schedule. Okay, I, I think Djokovic is the only player in the world who's beaten Nadal at the French as well as beaten Federer at Wimbledon. And I think he's at his best, he's good enough to do both. And if he gets over this injury hump and, and also his psychological, his motivation issues, I I really don't see him. I, well, yeah, I've said what I said. I think they'll st- I think they'll play the slams, all of them. Yeah. Okay. Imagine how te- it must be. It must feel. Terrible to be anywhere between the ages of 20 and 25 right now. It must be horrible for all of these guys. Well, none of these it's, going um, no, it, it's up to them to beat them, right? I mean, you look at what Zverev is doing. Somebody else, you know, they have to step up. Dimitrov, Rayonic, uh, Monfi, Songa, Burdick, they've all been disappointing. They've all come up against these guys and they've fallen short all of their records. I mean, Burdick against Djokovic, what is it, 25 and 2, I think. and and he beat him this time when he was injured. He's the worst tennis player I've seen in a long time. He's just, oh, he, I just, like, I have no hope for him. If 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 we bash Raonic, I think Burdich is even more off. Well, I think Burdich is actually more consistent than Raonic. So he's a consistent not, quarterfinalist, but even Sebastian Grosjean was a consistent quarterfinalist, and that's exist- what is what is okay. What has Raonic done? Raonic has reached one final. That's it, right? He has to do much more to even get the consistency of a birdage, I think. Okay, so, Ramich is, 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 is a little younger. He has some benefit of a couple of years on him. Um, but I just don't think Birdage has any part of his game. I think hasn't, he's a hasn't Birdage seven. played for 50 years now? Because he always <laughs> seems to be playing, but that's all he does. He's, he's there. He, he's like the perfect participation certificate candidate. Yeah, he's 31. He's 31, so it's not like he's got too many years on him anyways. Yeah, I think now what applies for Federer doesn't apply for everybody. That's I think nobody else is expecting to play till 35-36. I expect Nadal to play two more years at most, I think. I mean, now he's fit, but he's always just one one ground stroke away from getting injured again. So, see how it goes. I mean, as long as he's fit, let him play. This I US Open is a real opportunity, so let's see. I feel like it's only a year more for Nadal. Unless he obviously picks and chooses and does all this other stuff. Yeah, I, I can't see him doing that. Not until the slams get over at least. Like I said, end of the year, sure. Okay. Fine. I think we have discussed enough that we, we said 30 minutes and we are almost now at, what, 50 minutes. So, wow. maybe next pod we'll be, we'll see if we can do something before the US Open. If not, Obviously, we'll have a, we'll say, mid-tournament review 
but till then no. any, anything shankar you want to plug anything you are writing by chance on tennis yeah i i do have a couple of posts planned one is i'm having this big discussion with all these federer fans as to whether federer is the goat or not and they are this they have arguments for and against him is they it opinion or stats based it's both it's almost stats based uh but they feel that unlike michael phelps or usain bolt federer is not an unquestionable goat and so even though i'm i'm not in the federer fan club i i i think he's done enough to earn the goat title so i'm just trying to articulate that and put it down maybe you see a cross sports no 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 tennis goat not a cross sports oh, okay. sorry oh, okay I'm... maybe bijan something for us to discuss on the next part then so we uh, yeah, assuming we can do that yeah, yeah assuming so. shankar does indeed right because he lots of times tells me you'll write but that's yeah, what he see. tells me yeah, there's never <laughs> enough ink in my pen <laughs> so we're going to see but bijan anything from your side anything you, i saw you were busily collecting stats this morning for football but other than that anything you're up to no nothing nothing too exciting in my life right now just a ton load of work and then you know the usual oh bijan's life is like bird it's in a tournament <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's harsh That's how on bird bird is that a very good career i think it's one like 25 30 million dollars okay so bijan should be happy yeah he should exactly oh, you, you could have called me anyone just anybody else you could have called me like yankur tumsarovich if you want but just not for it just i just have such hate for him. i don't know no just, i like, saw him at the barclays finals against nishikori he plays superbly i mean the margins are very small team. it's mental That's it's all in the head against those guys He's such a crybaby. He's he's. I saw him when he came for the ATP in India ages ago, and it just put me off then because he was such a whiner. And he and he lost to um, that Russian chap, D- Dmitry Tusanov. Uh, yes, it was ages ago. Mumbai ATP final played at the CCI, and I've hated him since because he's such a crybaby on court. Such a crybaby. Wow. Wow, you are merciless. I tell you, he's an absolute guy. He's not the worst. He's all right. Unless he's implying that I've tried to be in the past. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, Bert. He can be a. You, it sounds like you saw him when he was 20. Poor guy. I mean, he's played for 11 years. Federer broke rackets when he was young. You, you move on, right? I guess he was a brat. I couldn't stand him when he was young, and then he became the senior statesman of cricket, of tennis. Sorry. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah but you said players move on birdish doesn't want to move on beyond quarter finals <laughs> <laughs> i think birdish has found the best to play four matches win this much money perfect you know and then go to the next tournament do it again yeah pretty unfair to him so he he just he just doesn't have the game to beat these guys that's what it is <laughs> i think we should close the pod guys now yeah. before it gets yeah, ugly i think yeah, finished yeah. our hard shot 25 minutes ago yeah um yeah, yeah. but uh, we'll catch up soon guys again great pod good we actually went off agenda and it got far more interesting yeah uh, then, <laughs> we, we should All do right. this but till next time uh, any feedback uh, listeners please do send across anything you want us to discuss during the french open we'll be more than happy to discuss but till next US time o- sorry us open sorry really sorry us open will be more than happy to discuss but till next time goodbye I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.